Yeah, uh, Enviro Media is founded on the idea of encouraging recycling. Mm -hmm. And so back in the 90s, um, uh, my, uh, my former partner and I used to work for the state of Texas at the Texas Natural Resource Conservation Commission. Okay. And we started a program called Texas Recycles Day. So, and it's coming right up on November 15th. Yes. And uh, so after three years, we went to the National Recycling Congress in Philadelphia, no, not Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. and presented a case study on Texas Recycles Day. And there were um, hundreds of recycling coordinators from all over the country. Really? And uh, we left you know, this national conference with uh, uh, knowing that a lot of recycling coordinators across the country were interested in America Recycles Day. And so um, we decided, you know what, let's, let's start it. So we quit our jobs with the state of Texas and we made a lot of trips to Washington, D.C. to get America Recycles Day started. And uh, so uh, Al Gore was our honorary chair. We worked with a lot of federal agencies, worked with um, uh, Fran McPoland, who was the federal environmental executive at, this, at the time, uh, and she was our chair. And the U.S. Post Office, um, was a sponsor, lots of corporate sponsors. Mm -hmm. And so in year one, we had 44 states and three US territories. And um, we're, it's very heartening to know that, you know, that was nearly 20 years ago when we quit our jobs to start America Recycles Day. And it's still around without Which, us. I, I know, and, you're and, like an uh, idol of mine. <laughs> So crazy. So, and that it is administered very well by Keep America Beautiful and proud of what they're doing with um, America Recycles Day and promoting recycling year round. And so happy that we were able to build something that can live on without us. Yeah. But I'm concerned about recycling. Yeah, me too. Tell it me has, why. It has plateaued. Um, so in the 90s, it really took off. Mm -hmm. It spiked like yep. never before. Yep. And you remember the image of the garbage barge on the cover of New that you might be too young to remember. But back in the 90s, there was that image from New York Times Magazine of a garbage barge that had nowhere to go mm -hmm. because of uh, a landfill issue. And that propagated this idea um, that we're running out of landfill space. Right. And so, um, so recycling, you know, became a priority. And it's really something, uh, a simple concept as opposed to climate change today. And um, so it spiked in the 90s and that's, um, but, uh, you know, it's plateaued, as you know, I mean, in the past 10, 15 yeah, years. It's... So, uh, what's wrong with recycling? I, I don't know. It's not rocket science, uh, but it is, I guess, inconvenient. I think it's inconsistent, I've noticed, you know, going to all these places, you know, standardization, education, all these things, and making that convenient, I think, would really help. I think uh, a new way to approach it is going to be through social media. Uh, I don't know exactly how yet, but I think that would be a 
a much uh, more viable way to get people involved and to get people excited and, and I don't know, actually being accountable for what you do when it comes to recycling because it is really important and it's just, I don't know why it still has to be a selling point or you have to convince people to recycle. It, I mean, that's just coming from me though, but I'm all about it every day, so. Well, I would agree with you, and in fact, we were talking to a potential uh, client from the recycling world the other day, and I described recycling as a halo brand. And I think you're onto something with social media because I think everyone considers recycling you know, it's it's a big success story and it is maximized and I'm doing my part when I occasionally recycle something. So maybe with, you know, social media, we should call out, uh, you know, attention to the fact that uh, we're only recycling about a third of what we could. Oh, yeah. Describing what's wrong with recycling or how, why it needs to be taken up a notch or five or yeah I know, right exactly so so you were able to then branch off from recycle across America and then you started this you came here to Austin when oh I've been in Austin since 81 okay, so forever so, yes and then horns I'm a longhorn and just have been working here ever since when did you start this uh, Envirometia is about to go uh, hit its 20th anniversary in February of, of, of uh, 2017. And yeah, I never dreamed we would live on for two decades. Um, I do believe that the areas that we work in, uh, in environment and health, and it really is all linked together. If you think about it, environment is a subset of overall health. Mm -hmm environment is our surroundings it's our infrastructure and so I think we're more relevant than ever with the kind of work we do uh, I think that uh, the corporate world over the past I would say maybe 10 years has paid a bit more attention to sustainability mm -hmm. and environment and health um, and I think that's only uh, going to escalate with, uh, with a number of things going on, including implementation of the, the Paris Climate Agreement mm -hmm. uh, and water issues going on yeah. um, and energy issues as well and the push to more and more recyclables and that nexus of energy and water. Mm -hmm. And it's all kind of complicated stuff. But it is all connected. That's that's what fascinates me is that it really is connected. I, I just think that's an important thing that isn't discussed enough. So for the next, I don't know, five years, what what do you think your sweet spot is? What what do you focus most of your attention on? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, what kind of customers do you ideally go after? And you know. Well, uh, great question because we're pondering that question a lot as we enter our um, 20th anniversary. Um, and that is we know we want to uh, really focus on uh, the innovators of the world. 
So the clients who are helping to um, improve the world we live in or improve the way they make things, even commodities, uh, who are really, really interested in, um, in making improvements that help keep us healthier, Mm -hmm. which also make better products, but it's going to take innovation to do it. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and so we want to work with those innovators. <laughs> That's definitely me. <laughs> it is. I mean, I just, <laughs> it's true. Um, so do you, do you have a, do you guys have a breakdown of sort of where you guys focus as a company? I mean, are you more focused on social media aspects or just whatever the client needs or, you know? Right. Yeah. Great question on, on tactics. Okay. Because if you think about anything we do, whether it's for a public service campaign mm -hmm. for the government or um, this, uh, you know, a TV spot for a renewable power entity, um, it really is about change right mm -hmm. so that's all we work on is behavior change or change that's coming and um, and in order to change successfully uh, you usually need more than one tactic you mm -hmm. need a comprehensive yeah. approach correct and I think social media is becoming more and more important but we know that that alone won't solve it so everything from a smart strategy to sound uh, appealing branding um, as well as you know what else might be needed whether it's you know a TV spot or a billboard or a website or not or public relations maybe it's traveling the country mm -hmm. right um, like a crazy person. right yeah. no but I do agree being that having that third dimension to any campaign is critical yeah and we do have the research to back it up from our tobacco prevention work that you can see twice the results if you get that third dimension of uh, community outreach, school outreach uh, uh, in the mix along with some paid advertising. And again, social uh, is more and more uh, important. Do you guys have a core social part of the team or? Absolutely. So. Um, and our clients more and more, especially government clients, because they kind of held it in for um, years and years, and now they're slowly, you know, relinquishing uh, that responsibility. Before they didn't have any social, and then they started managing it in-house, and now we are helping more and more in the management of that and making sure it's entirely synergistic with we as their agency, what we're working on. Um, so yes, all around. So um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's history. You know, going back from radio to when the TV advertising came into play, and the radio laughed them out of the room, and then look what happened. And I think the same thing with social, where five years ago or you know ten years ago, people were like Facebook, like I'm never going to be a part of that, and then now everybody's a part of that. And I think right now we're entering into the next component which is Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube. Platforms like these are so powerful and especially when you're trying to get a campaign or something like that across, you can do it at such low cost because 
it's not overcrowded like Twitter, it's not overcrowded like Facebook, and you don't have to pay to play yet. So I think that's, but I don't think a lot, there's a lot of education about it. I don't think there's a lot of understanding and knowledge of how to use Snapchat or, you know, how many people are even on Snapchat. Do you know how many people are on Snapchat? I personally don't know, but I know we're using Snapchat. Are you? our clients, yes. Traffic safety. So mm -hmm. trying to get those messages out where our target audience of young risk takers are out partying, Snapchat. Yep. Do you see the way that it's going to quickly travel to businesses and corporate restaurants and all these other event-oriented yeah. things? Yeah. Capturing them in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, yeah, and you know the filters and the technology yeah. behind it. It's just I don't know. I think it's very exciting stuff, and I think Austin is a really good place where. You could offer even a service just dedicated to that almost mm -hmm. I mean just to get clients in the door something simple and then lead them on to the other aspects of what you guys are doing and then you know it just kind of happens organically like that right how many people do you guys have working on social media well pretty much there uh, you know we have a creative team we have our account team we have our PR team mm -hmm. and uh, they all pretty much touch it mm -hmm. for instance um, you know we have the writers who, who will write these uh, for whether it's Enviromedia doing a post or our clients we have the writers we have a digital strategist uh, and then we have the account service people who are doing the posting and so it's pretty much touched by all departments also we have a media planning and buying department and you know we do need <laughs> to pay to play uh, to really get Absolutely, their messages yeah. out there and so we uh, you know more and more over the past few years are being sure to designate a portion of their budgets to paid social do you notice is it still a small portion yes it's fractionalized <laughs> portions a tiny as compared to you know um, TV or radio or billboards. Do you ever try to convince them to push over more? We do. We recommend it as we go, as it's needed. Yeah. Hmm. So we're not out here to just do some expensive um, TV spot. That's, you know, really, you know, that's cool to do, but that's a lot of money. So you got the production and then you got to pay. A lot of money to air it so uh, but again you cannot rely solely on the social another important feature uh, that is critical is um, media relations mm -hmm. and so getting uh, writing um, some thought-provoking uh, pieces and getting those out there it's always been a, a critical part of what we do for our clients um, we do uh, one thing that I love doing is research for ink and so we're in the middle of creating a new campaign in another state and it is based on some unprecedented research which has formulated reformed the way we've done our creative and when we launch this campaign in the first quarter of next year we're not just going to push out the campaign we're going to uh, really promote within Research for Inc. 
all the findings of, or the key findings of this research that led to what you're going to see in this campaign. And it calls attention to the issue. What's the goal of the campaign? This one uh, is under wraps for Oh, now. gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It's too soon to, to say, but it's on the environmental side. Okay. That's good. So I'll give you a great uh, example is uh, research that we do uh, in the area of water awareness. Okay. And so over the years, we have found that the um, that only about a third of Americans know the natural source of their drinking water. Mm -hmm. So when they turn on the tap, out it comes, right? And so that was depressing. Okay, two thirds of us don't realize and we're taking water for granted. But we found a strong connection between people who know where their water comes from and their willingness to um, be more efficient with it. Hmm. So if I'm doing a conservation campaign, what am I going to do? The first thing I'm going to do is tell them your water is coming from that lake. Right. And then pair a conservation tip. And when I, you know, when we launch a campaign, we do a press conference or send out a press release, media advisory for the events we have, that here's this campaign, it's based on this research that says, you know, Far too many people know where their water comes from, but they will conserve, and so know your water. So that is a brand that we have is Water IQ, Know Your Water. We've been doing that campaign for a decade in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, North Texas Municipal Water District. They um, provide uh, their wholesale water provider to a bunch of cities in the Metroplex. And they're one of the fastest growing regions in the country. And we've helped them curb their um, peak day consumption, hmm. which is in the summer, because everyone's doing water on their lawns, uh, but helping them curb projected peak day consumption by anywhere from 200 to 400 million gallons uh, every year for over 10 years. And this region has grown by um, more than 50%. Do you feel responsible for that? Partly? Partly. Well, I love You're the strategy like side. You're so smart. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, anyway, I, I love, um, that's very gratifying because, you know, these are important issues. Water is a big personal passion for me and education there. But what we've learned on the water side, we have found on the energy side too. We did a campaign with Green Mountain Energy, which is mostly wind energy, and uh, a campaign that showed potential customers of theirs that this was back in the day when it was likely if you turn on the light switch, you're burning coal. Now, okay. since natural gas is, mm -hmm. you know, it has come uh, more into uh, mainstream electricity, uh, that coal uh, is has. Uh, consumption has gone down quite a bit but back in the day we educated potential customers at Green Mountain Energy that if you're turning on the light switch you're likely burning coal and so try wind energy and that actually mm -hmm. that campaign did lift their sales of Green Mountain Energy. Now I noticed that there's a pretty big uh, clean tech environment here uh -huh. or group here. Uh -huh. Do you guys ever get involved with them? Well <laughs> no. No? No, not formally. Right. 
but I mean, do you agree that it's definitely a growing part of Austin? Well, definitely. Yeah. So, you know, Texas is, you know, the, uh, uh, one of the biggest wind states around, and, you know, we're such a conservative state, but it's proven to be, you know, in a major industry, and um, we have talked to some in the clean tech space, mm -hmm. in fact, recently. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a big part of Austin. I mean, is it, do you have clients that you like, would ideally like to work with, or that focus on, you don't have to say any names per se, I'm just, you know, curious if there's an industry or something like that that you maybe haven't tried to put a lot of effort into tackling, but if you did, you would be able to run with it? Oh yeah, definitely renewables, uh -huh. you know, again, we worked for nine years in the wind space with Green Mountain Energy, uh, but solar, I love where Tesla's going, yeah. from being a car company to uh, energy Elon's. storage, so, right? Yeah. And so solar, um, hydro, Spending a lot of time in California, just toured the California uh, Delta. Oh. Uh, saw some major um, infrastructure there okay. uh, going on. So that tour was an amazing nexus of water infrastructure with uh, renewables, which is hydro in that case. And speaking of Northwest, over up in the Northwest, you know, that's. So much of the energy comes from hydro. Um, but also, uh, just had a great meeting with a major um, power provider in Southern California just okay. last week. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you, thank you. We'll Good see job. what happens. Yeah. I, so, uh, renewables is huge. You know, also knowing where your water and your energy comes from, I feel like the same thing applies to food. So, the more mm -hmm. you know where your food is yeah, coming that's from. Another the more you're going to care about what you're eating. Absolutely. And you maybe have a little more uh, high willingness to pay a little bit more for a cleaner product. Absolutely. Um, and so I wanna work more in the food industry. Really? Those who are uh, doing, um, have more um, authentic health marketing uh, and um, so and really helping i would love to work with a food company to who's responsible to help educate where uh, more about where our food comes from mm -hmm. any here in austin oh sure a number of wonderful like we've been talking about this a lot mm -hmm. number of wonderful um uh, uh restaurants mm -hmm. um in austin uh, but I'm talking about some major, you know, major restaurant chains, I think, that could use our help. So, yeah, I mean, because now I'm trying to think of ways we could collaborate. You know, I'm a very ambitious person. I don't know if I said this or not yet, but I'm, I'm looking to move to Austin. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in the process of moving here right now. And so I'm really trying to find ways, and maybe I could even help you reach out to some of those restaurants or find a strategy to collaborate with them. I heard that there's some compost law 
or something that just went into place recently here? Um, they're looking at, and I'm uh, not sure the exact status, but incorporating um, composting into the curbside recycling program. Yeah. And um, I know it was uh, being uh, piloted, and uh, but I'm not sure where we are on it being officially part of citywide. I heard October 1st was the first set of people that are regulated now to do it and then by this time next year the whole city will be regulated to do it mm -hmm. i think you know everyone all the restaurants yeah. all the that would be a great place to just at least insert a conversation with some of those restaurants and you know i, I don't know enough about it other than what i've heard so portland does a great job portland does a phenomenal i was there last I mean, you saw a video i mean the composting there is it's everywhere. I mean, it's just a way of life to them. It's not really this, oh, this is some <coughs> inconvenience or anything. You know, it's just part of everyday life and incorporated in these businesses. I think another thing I noticed in Portland that I noticed here is that food trucks are a big up and coming oh, yeah. industry. I mean, that's, I've never seen anything like it really. They're just everywhere. Except in Portland, which pretty much pioneered those that food truck stuff. So. It's everywhere in Portland. Yeah. Every, everywhere. Speaking of, you know, I think it's great that composting is getting more attention in Austin and there are a lot of technical things to think about that, yeah. that you yeah. know, your average consumer doesn't realize. And then I remember with the pilot in uh, a while back, people just considered it icky to, um, to have curbside uh, recycling, so there are some myths to debunk along the way. Um, I just published a piece on Huffington Post blog about a tour I took a couple of weeks ago at the Las Vegas Sands property. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I was up there for a water conference, and they are the ones who have the Palazzo and the Venetian, and swanky swanky. Um, places and uh, I got the a tour of, of, of these beautiful prop, uh, properties they are just posh I mean I haven't even stayed there yet myself <laughs> I was down the strip and uh, but anyway um, I was fascinated to learn guess what their number one uh, they do recycle 55% of their waste okay. even though you don't see recycling bins everywhere uh, but guess what the, the number one um, uh, source of their solid waste is? Food. Yep. Yeah. So, but, so they have some wonderful programs, big, you know, composting, and then uh, also donating leftover food uh, to charities uh, yeah. from, they have an enormous expo space there. It's the fifth largest in the country. And they donate uh, meals that can't uh, weren't eaten mm -hmm. to charities within 24 hours, and then um, so what can't be recycled when, or given to charity is also given or sold. I'm not quite sure to um, to hog farms. Mm -hmm. as right, right, yeah. yeah. So I saw that in uh, in Indonesia. I was there for. A, climate change conference way back in the day. It's all these major historical almost 
I mean, these conferences and stuff that you're talking about, aren't these are major things that have sort of changed history, right? Well, went to the Bali Climate Change Conference thinking, oh, this is going to be the new Kyoto, right? Mm -hmm. Went all the way around the world, very uh, amazing experience. But as we know, nothing happened until finally Paris. Mm -hmm. So I went to five climate change conferences. And even Copenhagen, when everyone was expecting Copenhagen to right. be the new yeah. Kyoto, that didn't work out. And, you know, key things happening there were, you know, Obama and the meetings with China. And so it is very heartening to see. I did not go to Paris, but to see that, um, you know, China and China. India and U.S. are together on the climate pact. Uh, it's 2016. Agreement. I mean, it's kind of time to get yeah. with. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll see who's president. You know, yeah. Because right. um, actually, I, we were at South by Southwest Eco Conference, which was. I heard just I just like, missed it last yeah. week. I was very well, upset. You know what was really cool is the climate envoy, um, Jonathan Pers Pershing, was a speaker. And uh, so I had seen him at five climate change conferences, and then there he was on a South by Southwest Eco panel with the Solar City folks and some other uh, commercial entities. And we're talking not about climate negotiations, and he's a major negotiator, um, but we're talking about, he's talking about implementation now. Implementation of, of uh, a climate you know, agreement. So. That was really cool to see him speak, but I had had a question in my mind for the past couple of months whenever the Paris Agreement was signed uh, um, by o Obama uh, recently, and I thought, well, how can this be implemented so easily when you know other things have been derailed in the Senate, like? Right. Kyoto was signed, but was never ratified right. by our Senate. Well, so I got to ask Jonathan Pershing himself, like, why is that? And he said that it was, you know, mainly policy and timeline. And so even if Trump becomes president and attempts to dismantle this, it will take years That's to good. dismantle what's happening now. That's what he said. So um, those, that's major issue to watch if you are someone who gives a damn about environment and the presidential race 